0: Well I think this was worth coming out for so far don't you? I think one of the greatest ways to start a new year is with a focus on the cross. Remember the words of the Apostle Paul, I am determined to know nothing among you Corinthians. In this wonderful educated city, this cosmopolitan place where you can find anything and everything. Paul says, this is my focus. I am determined not to get distracted by anything else, no matter how good it may be. I only want to proclaim the cross and its wonderful consequences. And so I think that's a great way for us to start the new year. I'm reminded that on three separate occasions, Jesus predicted his death to his disciples. And on all three of those occasions, they didn't really get it they couldn't absorb this difficult truth it didn't fit into the paradigm of their thinking uh, of their idea of the future events they had it all planned out and a messiah that would die a savior that would suffer somehow was never thought to be part of the equation (laughs) so on one occasion Jesus said to his disciples after Peter acknowledged that Jesus indeed is the Christ the Son of God Jesus said you know I'm on my way to Jerusalem and when I get there I'm gonna have to die. I will be buried three days later I'll come out of the tomb. I'm gonna be mishandled and abused and crucified. And the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 16 that Peter took Jesus aside so as not to embarrass him in front of the others and rebuked him and in the NIV you've got this wonderful expression of how emphatic his statement is for it reads never Lord never I will not let this happen to you and so at the very beginning Peter is appalled at the thought of the cross we move forward in time about three years Jesus has concluded his ministry or actually it hasn't been three years from that point on. It's, it's uh, hardly a few weeks. And they come to Jerusalem and now Jesus is crucified and Peter with the rest of the disciples flee. Because now the cross is not so appalling it's just embarrassing. The Bible tells us when Peter was confronted by a young girl who thought that Peter was part of the Jesus band he said no. No, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know who that man is. And three times he denied him. Peter, I think, was so overwhelmed by his own failure that even after the resurrection took place, he was going back to his fishing trade and Jesus had to come and restore him. That's John chapter 21. In a tender and loving way, Jesus says to Peter three times, Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep probably corresponding to the three denials of Peter and now we move ahead thirty years to the time when Peter is writing what we call first and second Peter his letters to the dispersed struggling suffering church and I want you to know that now the cross is essential I like what John Stott says the death of Jesus which at one time seemed inconceivable to Peter, was now indispensable to him. And indeed the cross is indispensable. When you're reading through 1 Peter, you see that right away he takes up the subject of the cross. He tells us in chapter 1, We have not been redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from our vain conversation of life received from tradition by our fathers, but we've been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. When we come to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, he says, Jesus bore our sins in his own body on the tree That we being dead to sin might live unto righteousness and by his stripes we are healed. And then he comes to chapter 3 and verse 18, which is the text I want us to think on this morning. It says, for Christ died for our sins once for all. He died for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous in order that he might bring us to God. Now that my friend is one of the great texts in the New Testament and there are many on the importance and the purpose of the cross. I think it's valuable for us to know that you cannot reduce the purpose of the cross to only one thing. For the Bible speaks of multiple purposes for the cross. And let me just mention some of them to you. In fact, my plan this year as we have communion service on Sunday morning, we alternate here every month, once it's in the morning, once it's in the evening. But as we meet together Sunday morning and observe the communion service, I want to focus on these different purposes for the cross. For instance, there is the demonstration of His love, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. But God demonstrates His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. The great purpose of the cross one of them is to declare to the world God loves you. There is secondly the declaration of victory in the cross. John chapter 19 and verse 30 as Jesus hung on the cross He gave seven phrases or seven words as we call them. And one of them was, it is what? Finished. It is finished. It is completed. And we also read in Revelation chapter 12 this idea of the declaration of victory over sin and death. And Satan himself, they overcame the accuser of the brethren... By the blood of the Lamb, Revelation 12, 11. So the cross is a cross of victory. He accomplished what he intended to accomplish. He was victorious. Now, it doesn't seem quite that way. When you look at the cross, it looks like he's being defeated. But he comes back and wins. And it's death that's defeated. And hell and Satan. So the cross its purpose is to declare victory and openly colossians tells us he parades his victory and the fallen enemies fall or are pulled along in his train thirdly the cross and its purpose is an invitation of suffering take up your cross daily and follow me jesus said or philippians chapter 3 verse 10 paul says i want to know him I want to know him and the fellowship of his sufferings, which means I'm being conformed to his death. First Peter tells us that Jesus suffered, leaving us an example, and we should walk or follow in his footsteps. The cross is an invitation to suffer. By the way, I think most of us love the declaration of His love or declaration of His victory and we love the demonstration of His love. We love all of that. But the invitation to suffering is something that we hesitate to embrace. And I'm right there with you. But it, yet, yet it is a very clear purpose of the cross. And then finally, it is the explanation of Fruitfulness. John chapter 12, verse 24, is one suggested verse that says, If a grain or kernel of wheat doesn't fall into the ground and die, it remains alone. But if it is buried and dies, it produces a great crop. It produces many other seeds. And the key to fruitfulness is our dying with Christ. So that we might live in fullness or newness of life. So the cross has all of these purposes. But the grand purpose of the cross is beautifully described in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. It's this idea of atonement. It's this idea of divine satisfaction. Of God being pleased with the sacrifice of His Son that had to be given to pay our debt so that we could be accepted into heaven forever. The grand purpose of the cross is the atonement. And I want us just to think and reflect upon this verse for a few moments so that we might focus, center, organize our lives around this grand and glorious purpose. The first thing I want you to note from this verse, that is 1 Peter 3.18, is that there is sacrifice in it, in the atonement. And I think of the word substitution. For the verse reads, for Christ died for our sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. There's sacrifice at the cross. You and I see that readily, do we not? Where Jesus, not having to die, willingly gives himself up to die. He sacrifices himself on our behalf. By the way, since the beginning of time, sin and death, have been joined together inexorably. You cannot separate them. In Genesis chapter 2, if you sin and disobey me, God said to Adam, you shall surely die. Paul says in Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. Wherever there is sin, there must be death. And so to eradicate sin, there also has to be death. And Jesus steps up to the plate. He's willing to give himself up. This is what we sang about just a moment ago. He took our sin, He took our wrath, He took our blame. He took all of us upon Himself so that we could receive all of Him. Did you notice that? The righteous dies for the unrighteous, the innocent for the guilty. And here is the wonderful teaching, biblical teaching of substitution. The great exchange where God takes our sin, Jesus takes our sin upon Himself, and we take His righteousness. He he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in Him. He took our sin so we could take His righteousness that is the best trade you can possibly make I remember growing up as a kid one of the things that we enjoyed doing was trading with our friends whether it was baseball cards or our favorite toys and the goal was to get the best trade the goal was to outfox your friend and to get his goods without giving up too many of your own and that's really at the heart of trading it seems to be people want to get the best deal this is a lopsided trade I mean think about it sin for righteousness death for life and yet that's exactly what Jesus does for us on the cross so there's much sacrifice here Jesus dies in our place he has to be dying for us because he has no sin and since he had no sin he had he had no reason to die in and of himself. So he had to be dying for someone else's death and someone else's sin. I like the wonderful painting by Rembrandt called The Three Crosses and if you ever have a chance to look at that painting by the Dutch master you will notice that everyone's attention of course is drawn to the center cross where Jesus is. And then you kind of move from the center cross to the crowd that is around the cross and the wonderful facial expressions that he has of of angst and confusion of hatred and horror as this display goes on of human crucifixion but then as you move to the outside of the painting the critics say there is one face that is easy to recognize Rembrandt has painted himself at the edge of the painting The reason? I'm at the cross because it was my sins that put him there. And that's what you and I need to understand about the cross. It was our sin that put him there. And the Bible tells us Jesus died for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. Sins in the sense of universal. All men's sins. Sins in the sense of particular. He laid down his life for the sheep. There is sacrifice in the cross. And that is its grand design. Secondly, uh, there is purpose behind the cross. And that purpose is reconciliation. For Christ died for our sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. In order to bring us to God now that assumes that we are far from God or separated from Him it implies distance it implies inability that is for us to bridge the gap to cover the distance to get close to Him and in fact that's exactly what the Scripture says from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah Isaiah 59 simply says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. His ears are not too heavy that he cannot hear. But your sins have separated you from God so that his face is hidden from you. Your iniquities has caused him to turn away. There is great distance because of our sin. In New Testament theology, the Apostle Paul picks up a theme. Ephesians chapter 2. He says, At one time, you were without Christ. Remember that? You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no hope because you were without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar so off have been been made near, brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Far off without God, separated because of our sins, the chasm blown between a holy God and sinful man, and Jesus bridges the gap with the cross. His blood draws us near, and now we can come to God and find reconciliation. His goal is to bring you to Himself. And when the Apostle Paul talked about this wonderful truth in 2 Corinthians, while he could hardly contain himself. He couldn't stop using that word reconcile. Reconcile. In a matter of a few verses, he uses it five times. God is in Christ reconciling all things to himself. And he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. We are to go forth telling people that God is not imputing their sins to them if they trust in Christ, but they can be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors for God. And we are imploring and urging people, be reconciled to God. There's the heart of the gospel. Jesus dies in our place to pay for our sins so that he can bring us to God and eliminate the distance and my friend if you know something of a close genuine real experiential relationship with God if the distance has been closed then you know what heaven is like on earth peace of soul and hope for eternity if you don't know Christ then this whole service is a message to you it's an invitation to come God died in your place so that He might bring you to Himself. Quickly there is finality to His sacrifice. For Christ died for our sins what does it say? Once for all. That's real significant because if you were a Jew if you were a Hebrew you knew what it was to offer your sacrifices every year. The blood of bulls and goats repeatedly. Covered sin for a period of time but then had it had to be repeated but Jesus cried on the cross it is finished a single word in the perfect tense which means a completed action with ongoing results like you open the door and it remains open because you opened it once you don't have to open it again it's still open Jesus died for our sins he paid the penalty it is done and remains finished forever the book of Hebrews puts it this way not by the blood of bulls and goats but with his own blood Jesus entered into the holy place once for all having obtained eternal redemption for us there's finality to it it's a completed act there's nothing you have to do to improve it there's nothing you have to do to add to it accept it it is done and then finally the verse adds this note of optimism there is hope with it for the Bible simply says that he was put to death in the body but he was made alive in the spirit and his resurrection secures ours his new life guarantees ours if we have been planted with him in the likeness of his death Paul says in Romans, we shall also experience resurrection in the likeness of his resurrection and we shall walk in newness of life. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me is never going to die. Do you believe this? And there's wonderful optimism in the cross. That's why we call it the wonderful, beautiful, glorious cross. It accomplishes God's purpose and it has hope in it of life that never ends. And when we've put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we can have that hope as well. I love the story that comes to us from the wagon train days as people were caravanning their way in Conestoga wagons across the prairie to the new frontier. There was a group of travelers that had traveled for a long time and they were very, very weary. When they came over the crest of the hill, they were shocked to see the whole prairie was lit up in flames and the fire was racing toward them. They thought death was inevitable. But the wise, wise trailmaster went behind the caravan and lit the dry brush on fire. And now the same wind that was pushing the fire toward them was blowing the fire behind them away from them. And after a few minutes had burned a bare spot in the ground. He ordered the wagon train to go into that bare spot. And so they did. As the flames began to advance, the heat intensified. A little girl looked up at the wagon master and says, Are we safe? And he says, Yes, we are safe because we're standing where the fire has been. And I want you to know, my friend, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are safe. How do we know we're safe? We are safe because we're standing in the place where the wrath of God has already been satisfied. The place of safety. The place of refuge. The place of hope. And as we start a new year, that's what we need to see. We need to understand that we are creatures. We are creatures made in the image of God. We are His children, redeemed by the Son of God. And we are the temple of God, inhabited by the Spirit of God. And in Jesus Christ, there is complete safety. And there is rest. Oh, the beautiful, wonderful cross. I hope you're standing where the wrath of God already has been, in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I don't know the heart of every individual here. And on a snowy morning like this, usually just the brave and committed make it to a place of worship. But Lord, I'm reminded of that day in the 1800s when a young boy named Charles Spurgeon made it out in a snowstorm to a church with only a few attenders. And he heard a message that revolutionized his life. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none other. Lord, maybe someone has ventured out today and they recognize that they have not personally trusted Christ They have no peace of sins forgiven. They have no hope of life that never ends. So today, may they call upon you and find forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.